with no irony involved here, but with great timing from the Lord, uh, we're going to uh, talk about a to- uh, be on a topic today that has very much to do with uh, this week. There's a lot of it anyway. I want you to fill in the blanks to this statement I'm about to make. Sticks and stones. And I can tell you where to file that statement. In the trash file, because that is absolutely not true. I get, the, I get what's behind it is that we're supposed to be tough to be able to handle the things, but the truth is words can hurt. Words can be very hurtful. Words can be very powerful. A post office worker at, uh, at a mailing facility was going through some uh, uh, post, uh, and, uh, postal letters and, and noticed one that the, the writing was so terrible and all, just wasn't sure whether it would make it to its destination and decided that they, in this certain case they'd need to open the letter see if they could determine anything else uh, from that letter to be able to make sure it got on to the appropriate person. And as he began to read, his heart broke because it was from an elderly lady saying that, uh, that um, telling uh, a letter to God, saying that uh, her whole le- rest of her savings had been stolen, $200 had been stolen, and she didn't know whether she'd even have food to eat or have heat or anything, and that she may just uh, freeze to death and go hungry. It was crying out to God. It grasped the postal worker's heart and he began to, to share around that office and ask for donations. And in a short amount of time, they had finally got to the, the maximum they could get. It was $180. And so he very anonymously puts it in there, sends it to the lady. Next week, he noticed another letter comes through, looked very similar to that other one, and opens it up. And, and the lady's letter said, Dear God, thank you for the $180 it will surely help me to not uh, be as destitute as I had thought I would be. However, it is $20 short, and I suspect that it's those thieving postal workers, so I, hold you, I don't hold you responsible. We often in times are, are critics of people, and we don't even know for sure what we're talking about. We hold them accountable for things they may not even, uh, be responsible for. But words can hurt. The text we're going to look at today in 2 Samuel, the book of 2 Samuel. We're going to start in verse 5, look at 5 through 14. 2 Samuel, verse 5 through 14. As King David approached Baharim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimei, son of Gera. And he cursed him as he and he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones. Through all the tro- uh, though all the troops and the special guards were on David's right and his left. As he cursed, Shimei said, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a man of blood. Then Abishai, son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. But the king said, what, what do you and I have in common, you sons of Zeruiah? If he is cursing because the Lord said to him, Curse David, who can ask 
Why do you do this? David then said to Abishai and all his officials, My son, who is of my own flesh, is trying to take my life. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will see my distress and, and repay with good for the cursing I am receiving today. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went and throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. The king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted, and there he refreshed himself. Are you getting the mental picture of this? This is a scrappy, scrappy guy, isn't he? He comes out cursing at him, tells him, he tells him, get out of here, you man of, of blood, you man who has taken Saul's throne. Even your son now takes the throne. And, and, he's, and then you get there, after he's doing all this and they have the interaction, he's falling along the side of the hill, Saul. He's tossing dirt and rocks on these guys the whole way. And Saul, King Saul has, has uh, I mean, David, I'm sorry, King David has told him, leave the guy alone. So they're just taking it. You know, he's got guys with swords, he's got army, he wants to, he wants, they want to do something about it, but they are honoring their king. But you've got to keep in mind the context of this because David is not really king. His son has taken over the kingdom, and he has left the kingdom in shame. In fact, as we look into this, he's actually, in, in a typical fashion at the time, he's leaving barefoot with his head covered in shame as he walks out. And this happens as a result of his sin with Bathsheba and having her husband killed in battle to have her. He is paying the price for that so david's heart is humbled and as he meets this man this man is uh, coming out after him but uh it's not so much Bathsheba that this guy has taken up issue with this says this is a man of saul's house this is the former king this is the guy who under the other guy's leadership who apparently thought a lot of him and not a lot of king david and he's telling him you you are a man of blood. You are the reason that, that Saul is dead. You took his throne, and now your son has it, and God is punishing you. Some time ago, a candidate for the Secretary of Defense, Bobby Ray Inman, uh, a Navy admiral, withdrew from consideration because William Sapphire and Senator Rob Dole criticized him. And then the press turned around on Nightline and responded and said, If you can't take the heat, then get out of the kitchen. Some public scrutiny is necessary to ensure good candidates, but many in the media seem to delight or thrive in turning up the dirt. And I'm sure many of you have had that in your life at one point or another. Someone can't be happy with just the fact that you've, uh, you've backed off from something. They want to heap on some dirt on you. So we, we see that, you know, in, in this situation with King David, he is, he is already down. And isn't it ironic, we seem to find people who want to kick you when you're down. That's when they want to criticize you the worst is when you're already down. I don't know what it is sometimes in the sinful nature that, that can't let well enough alone that someone's already down, but we want to seem to finish them off. But it's, it's a dangerous thing to start inspecting others. I noticed three accusations by Shimei towards King David. One is the blood of King Saul we mentioned. Two is stealing Saul's throne from him. And third, he said, God has placed your son Absalom on your throne in your place. But see, three out of three are just not true. 
Three out of the three statements made there are not true. They are all lies. David had not killed Saul. In fact, Saul had committed suicide. If Saul had been wounded badly in, in battle and didn't, not wanting to die in that way had asked his armor bearer to take his life for him and his armor bearer in honor of his king said no. And Saul actually, what it says, fell on his sword. He, he fell on his sword and committed suicide. So that is lie number one. The second one, God, that God had removed Saul from his throne, uh, I mean that King David had removed Saul from his throne, was not true. God had removed Saul from his throne for his disobedience against the Amalekites. And Absalom was not put on the throne by God. He was there because of his own rebellion. So three criticisms of David, uh, all of them blatantly false. A lady in Switzerland had bought a small package of greatly aged cheese and she continued to shop in a few different stores and walked next to a, an employee of the store and thought, man, that, that employee stinks. And took off out of the store, just disgusted by the smell of their employees, and went on the next store and then noticed that it seemed to get worse at the next one next to the next, so she had ran out of that one. You can imagine her surprise when she got home to find out that it wasn't them that was stinking at all. It was her bags of groceries. But many times, we will pick at people at the very things that that stink about us the word critic in greek kritikos means able to discern or judge let me ask you this question does the bible say christians are to judge one another well in that broad open statement we'd have to dig in deeper and we have before on judging but if you take it as uh, most of us will take it right away no uh, we're not to judge lest we be judged uh, Matthew 7, 1 uh, is also in John 8, 7. He is uh, that is without sin among you. Let him cast for a stone. These are these even people who don't read the Bible are quoting these. But how do you respond when you're criticized? That's what we want to focus on. How do we respond as believers when we're criticized? There are some natural reactions to criticism that in our own human fallible nature, not being like Jesus or having uh, that kind of uh, ability as deity, what, what we respond to is, uh, first one's hurt. It hurts. And although we don't like it, when we, can often, we can often handle criticism when it's true, even though we don't like it. But when it's untrue, it is exponentially more difficult to handle, isn't it? When you feel you've been unjustly criticized, you want to speak up. Nobody likes rejection or to be the butt of jokes, but it's part of life to some extent and also part of our lot as Christians. Now, my nephew, Andrew, um, when, when he was real little uh, and I watched him for a while, I remember how my brother-in-law, Ron, and my brother and others picked at me and I said, man, when I am their age, whoever's the young ones in the family like Andrew, I am not going to pick on them. I'm just, I, I couldn't stand that and I thought that's just not right. But you know, I found it was awfully hard to resist. When you get and you've been through all the things that you see them doing, it's just hard not to pick. We, we tend to want to criticize, and sometimes for humor. Sometimes we believe for humor, but really, where does it leave the person we're criticizing? Are they laughing? Sometimes not. I just wonder if I could have responded like David. Do you think you could have? I mean, I know I've failed to respond like that in the past. It says in Timothy 3, 12, 
2 Timothy 3.12, all who will live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. So uh, shouldn't that tell us, hey, this is normal. You know, part of getting past things is trying to normalize them, right? I mean, that's what we try to do psychologically. Dave Ramsey says that when he was in real estate back in the day, because everyone has buyer's remorse, especially when it gets to large, large purchases that are, are a lifetime of responsibility, that they would teach their realtors that, that the person's going to have buyer's remorse. So before you close the deal, just tell them, so now you're going to go to sleep tonight, you're going to wake up in the morning, and you're going to be scared to death thinking, what did we do? And you're going to want to back out. Just know that's normal. Roll back over, sleep a little longer, and it's fine. And often, that's, you know, we think because the scripture tells us we're going to be persecuted, we're going to be slandered, all those things, just like Jesus was, that it should just be normal. Second thing, we often respond by getting defensive or denial of it. We take up for ourselves or deny the criticism is true. Or get even, we attack our enemies. In the flesh, you can even justify revenge or spiritualize it. Many times as Christians, we say, what am I supposed to do? Just take it? And some scripture indicates, yes, we're to turn the other cheek and to take it. He ended one of the lectures, um, this, this uh, company's junior executive, um, he was an efficiency expert, and uh, he did a seminar on time management for uh, all the company's junior executives. So I'm sorry, I twisted my words here, but... But an executive, an efficiency expert, all the junior executives were there, and he was doing uh, a, a talk on time management. And he ended one of the lectures with a disclaimer. It said, he said, don't attempt these task organizing tips at home, he said. Why not, someone asked. He said, I did a study on my wife's routine of fixing breakfast, he said sheepishly. She made a lot of trips between the refrigerator and the stove and the table and the cabinets, very inefficient. Awfully, often carrying only one item. So I asked my wife, honey, why don't you try carrying several things at once so you can be more efficient? And the junior executives, one of them spoke up and said, did that save time? And he said, actually, yes, the lecturer replied. It used to take her 20 minutes to get my breakfast. Now I get my own in seven. <laughs> A lot of times our, our, thoughts, our thought process, we're not thinking through what that what we're trying to get at with the criticism. That ends a lot of criticism when you think about it. If you think about it, what's the end result here? If I criticize this person, what's the end result? It may, me, may make me feel better for a time, but I may be creating an enemy. And we all don't need, we don't need any more enemies, especially of our own creation, right? Some uh, like to turn around and say, well, it says I'll be hated for Jesus' sake, but they're going around causing all the hate. They're stirring it up. They're getting it started. Well, there's, there's, many, there's many different things that we can look at in this. Uh, one is um, holding a grudge or bitterness. The grudge is the only thing that doesn't get better when it's nursed. We, when we're criticized, we've got to be careful not to hold a grudge. But here are seven godly reactions to criticism. And number one is be silent, uncomplaining. During Shimei's whole speech was verses 7 and 8, David said nothing. He let him go. And Jesus responded that same way to his accusers. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth, Acts 8.32 and Isaiah 53.7. Jesus set a good example for us. 
No counter-criticism would be another way to look at that. No, Someone has said that the best defense is a good offense, but that's exactly what many do when they are criticized. They go on the attack to defer any attention away from their own shortcomings or to someone else's. And this is what, not what David or the Lord Jesus did. You see, those accusations were false, but why did David take such a humble reaction to them? Well, how did he get there to hear them? By the walk of shame because of what he had done. So even though those were untrue, David knew to a certain extent that there were things within his life right then that he was worthy of, criti- it was worthy of criticism. And he wasn't about to take a stand over something over here which wasn't true when he knew he had plenty to work on there. And many times when we're in the midst of criticism and, we, and it's unfair, it's untrue, and we want to lash back out, sometimes it's good to take a breath and just say, but is my life really right now where I need to even give time to that and pick that battle? Because I've got other things that need attention. Another uh, godly uh, way to respond is not to retaliate. Though surrounded with many armed men loyal to himself, David had the resources to to get back some of us are very very smart you know you may be very smart very educated or or very eloquent in your speech or very good with comebacks and just because you're well equipped to defend or to fight back doesn't mean that we should do it in fact it shows a greater show of strength when you use restraint and don't bring out all your forces all David had to do was give a look to one of those warriors and Shimei's head would have been on the ground. The offer was there, but he could have stopped him before he even got the second accusation out and his head would have rolled. And everyone would have thought David would have acted wisely and justly, everyone but God. So God would have perceived as an act of arrogance and kept David in his trial longer and further than, than he would have been. And, and he would have been further humbled. But scripture teaches us a few things here on 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but blessing for those uh, for, for to this you were called. 1 Corinthians 4, 13. When we were slandered, we answered kindly. Proverbs 17, 9. He who covers over an offense promotes love. And 1 Thessalonians 5.15 See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but follow that which is good. Third thing is put your eyes on God. God is in charge, David said to Abishai. You see, this guy's cursing. Uh, he's cursing at David. And, you know, uh, he didn't ask, why do you do this? He didn't say, what, where, what basis do you have for this? Do you know what you're talking about? You don't know what you're talking about. You know how many times I see Christians sometimes responding to others as, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, sometimes things can be true, but not necessarily the best thing to say. Because in, in many times, what's the motivation getting our criticism? What are we going for? Is it to belittle or let them know how ignorant they are? Or is it to possibly show them the way of Christ? which is to take the high road. There's so many times, and I had to fail at times, I'm telling you, there's so many times I want to fire back at something. I want to I just lay it out. But 
I know that I won't bring glory to God in that. I'll have a temporary feeling that I brought glory to myself and it will fade quickly and then I'll have that, gnaw in my, that gnawing in my stomach that I've reacted badly. Sometimes we need to ask, what is God trying to accomplish through this? He may be trying to teach us and, and refine us. Remember who you are, number four. Remember who you are. This is something we've talked about a lot. Remember who you are in Christ. A royal priesthood. A, a separated nation. One not from this place. You know, it's, it's, this was never, once you believe, this was never your country. And the government is your ruling government over where you reside with your physical body and your property. And we are to pay taxes to what is to Caesar's and pay God what is God's. And we are to be ministers within that land. But we are to never assimilate and let ourselves be fooled that that's where we permanently belong. Because when you feel trapped into something, and I hear wording like that many times too, when we feel like we are trapped in a place where we are being treated unfairly, we are trapped then that causes a reaction because we feel like we've got to fight our way out of it. We've got to try to get past it and fight our way out of it when the truth of the matter is, is there are spiritual things going on in the background where God and his armies of angels are fighting with us. We sometimes need to be patient and know that God is in control. Remember who you are. Remember that who you are and who you represent. Maintain your Christian integrity and witness. Ask, what would Jesus do? Jefferson Davis, president of the Southern Confederacy, asked General Robert E. Lee's opinion of an officer. Listen to this. I thought this was so interesting, the timing of some of the things we're seeing too. And Lee gave him, General Lee gave him a high recommendation, an outstanding recommendation. Couldn't have been better. One of Lee's uh, aides came over to the side and said, don't you know that that officer hates and maligns you any chance they get? Yes, Lee responded, but the president asked me what I thought of the officer, not what he thought of me. I read that and I thought, how incredible. How awesome to be spoke, to have that put down in history and just a moment when, let me, let me put you in Lee's spot now. Did General Lee know that that would have been recorded for all of history? No. When you're fighting battles and you're leading uh, groups like that and all that, you're sometimes living in for the now because you don't know what's around the corner, but you've got to try to be ready for anything. But in that moment when the pressure's on, and I've said this before and I didn't, it's not mine, it's from another pastor, it's, what would happen to you if you grabbed your tooth, a to a tube of toothpaste in the morning, squeezed it to put on your toothbrush, and mud came out? Mud. You're like, that ain't right. What? You'd be opening a claim with whoever you crest or whatever. I mean, right? But the truth of the matter is, is that um, you wouldn't have known what was truly inside until you squeezed that tube. And often we don't find as Christians what's truly inside us until the pressure's on, until we're squeezed. I've seen it in my own life over and over, weekly. When the pressure gets on, what's inside of us? Do we just spew out all kinds of hurt and everything? Does it just spill out of us? Okay, well, how do you fix that? You go, go deeper with your relationship with God. You remain silent sometimes. You don't react. You hold yourself back. You show that restraint so that God can do a work in you. And then the next time you're squeezed, that minty freshness comes out. 
Here's, here's another thing to think about, though, number five. Is there truth in the charges? This one will hurt a little, but let's hold on for a minute. David wasn't guilty of Saul's family's blood. That was judgment because of his slaughtering of the Gibeonites. But David knew that his sin with Bathsheba was still bearing fruit. He had killed Uriah the Hittite and taken his wife. If the criticism is true and we've made a mistake or sinned, then we should confess to God and, and to those we may have injured. Ecclesiastes 7.1 in the ESV says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. David knew I had messed up. And I remember very vividly a time in my life when, when accusations were made against me greater than what I had done, but I'd still done something wrong. And I remember God's grace in that because, you know, I hadn't been a preacher. I hadn't studied to the depth. I, I, w- I was in Bible school, and yes, I was studying, but I hadn't been into the passages like this to really get that understanding. And now in reflection, I look back at how God was gracious, and he taught me without me even looking at the Scripture this very lesson. He protected my heart. The Holy Spirit protected my heart. I was very much wrong. But someone took it a step further to kick me while I was down, right? And the way I responded, I was never mad at that person. I was never mad at at the other organization that was involved. I, I just simply realized I had sinned. And sometimes the consequences for that sin may seem to us bigger than what we deserve. But the lesson in it the wealth that God has taken that. Why God didn't want that to happen, why he didn't make it happen in my life, I did it, I own it. But yet when I repented, God took that and turned it into something so beautiful. And how many of you right now can say, God is taking things that were in my life that were horrible and starting and beginning to turn them into something beautiful? We've got to embrace that. Let it happen, nurture it. Be, be able to recognize when God has taken that junk in our lives and beginning to, to chip away and turn it into some precious tapestry. Number six, remember, we're fallible. We will make mistakes. As soon as you get prideful and think that you've got figured out better than everybody else, and, and of course there's some that, you know, we want to use the word idiot. They're just blasting stupid stuff all over. But are they a believer or unbeliever? Are they a believer claiming to be a believer, but you can tell by the toast testimony of the gospel they're trying to preach that they aren't, false prophet or whatever, then your expectation should be is that is exactly what their heart will produce. But it's not them. Yes, it is, but it's not because of them. It's because of the enemy who is driving that. And that's where if you're going to have any anger, if you're going to have any resentment, then the best place to place that is on where it began. And that's with Satan. Number seven, seek to emulate Christ. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. What was the outcome of David's behavior? Well, uh, God... uh, God frustrated the advice of Absalom's counselor with Absalom. We will find out, we'd find out later if we carry this on that Absalom ends up getting his hair caught in a tree, right? He's defenseless and and someone comes along and takes care of him, right? 
He, he pays the price for his rebellion. Saul had already paid his price. And David, later on, not too much later on, is already restored back as king. So, what do we do with all this? What do we do with all this? In, in this current climate of the things we're dealing with, I mean, we do see injustice. We do see things that are horrible. We do see a nation who is, who is, uh, is bringing on the judgment of God. And Pastor CJ, is there anything wrong with us speaking the truth? Yes, but how much love is added on to that? Is truth a weapon? Is truth, are we trying to bring justice ourselves? Are we trying to equal the, the debate? Are we trying to bring lost sons and daughters back to the kingdom of God? You see, it's not often what is actually said because there can be different tones and inflection put on what is written or what is po uh, posted or what is put in the paper, but what the motivation is of the heart behind it often determines how effective it's going to be. <coughs> we can't risk pushing this nation further away from God by the way we react to criticism or to things being hurled at us. There's nothing more that they want than to, to get evidence and proof by our own mouths, and our own actions, our own lips, that what they're saying is true of the church. There's nothing more that they want is for us to, to find us as hypocrites, as haters, as those who, who are wanting everybody to just bow to our own ideals. But it's not our own ideals that we're asking them to bow to. It's the one who, when they are broken and lonely, and when they are, are at night, when the truth of their world that they live in closes in on them, when they're not out there spewing what they are, but they go back to the reality of their broken lives, that in that moment, those things spoken in love by the church, those things that even when they criticize us, we come back with words of restoration, that they have some truth echoing in their head that they might hold on to. And then, as they hold on to it, that might begin to, to convict and break the chains of darkness. You see, I had a great life being raised in a Christian home, and I lived for the Lord, and it was, in retrospect, a short time in my life that I ran from God. But I remember in the Navy laying on a, a cot, waiting till everybody else goes to sleep so that I can cry and nobody hear it because my heart was broken, because I had not waited on God, and I had chose my own path to try to remedy something that God was already at work on. It was while I was in the Navy and already committed to a certain amount of time that I got the letter that, that absolved the false accusations against me. Sometimes we're just too quick to try to defend ourselves and don't wait for God to do it. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I pray today this is no easy task for the church. God, because we, we are hurting ourselves. Just, Lord, just like Abishai, God, we, we are the ones with the swords. We want to defend you. Lord, when those things are hurled towards you, when, when those insults and those things that we know aren't true, false accusation after false accusation after false accusation, we want to draw our sword Lord and let the head of the enemy roll to show our allegiance to show our our pride in who you are and who you've been making us to be 
Lord, while I realize there's nothing wrong with being proud of who you are making us to be, that you are still our leader, you are still our king and our Lord, and that if you say, Lord, that we should remain silent, put back our sword, Lord, does that mean that we still let the, the dirt and the rocks hit us all along the journey? That even when we're on our way to a place of rest, we're not even head to a battle? That we're, we're just walking with you because we love you and that we support your rule and reign and that we let that happen without response? I believe this morning, Lord, from your word that we have seen, yes, in times you would like us to, to just walk with you, to just journey down that road, sometimes painfully being, being hit with all kinds of things. Help us, Lord. Help us resolve in our hearts to, to follow your example. Just take a moment this morning. Just settle in your hearts. Lord, let me come back to this scripture. Lord, when those times when I want to react in a way that wouldn't be glorifying you, help me to come back to this, Lord. And remind me the example King David gave to honor you, Lord. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.